Welcome back to Snares Book Prep Uncovered for a different kind of episode this week. Ralph and I don't have a guest. We do have a topic, but intentionally we don't have a structured plan for where this conversation will go. We're talking all about tech in education, and some of that includes AI. It's a longer episode than normal, and it's much more of a general conversation around the subject, so it's very much like being with us in a coffee shop and you're just sat there at the next table. This is an easy episode to listen to, so join us both now as we talk about technology, AI, and education. Hi Ralph, I'm smiling straight away because we've just spent the last 10 minutes talking about what we're going to talk about on this podcast recording. But but anyway, let's put all of that to one side. How are you today? I'm 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 brilliant. I have despite having spent 10 minutes discussing what we're going to talk about, I am no clearer as to what we're going to actually talk about other than it's got something to do with technology. So I I'd, mm. I'd suggest everyone just straps themselves in and uh, let's see where we go. Mm. Because with with some podcast recordings, you know, I'm not just talking about education ones. I'm talking in the in the wider field. Some people really do script out all of their episodes in <laughs> in in a in a very detailed way. That's that's definitely not what we do here, and <laughs> even less so on this recording where we actually turned up having not agreed at all about the content of, about what we're going to talk about. Apart from the fact that it was going to include tech and possibly AI, possibly metaverse and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is because, actually, I think this was an episode sort of more uh, from your imagination or questions that you had. Um, so what sort of questions would you like answered in this conversation? The main one for me, if I'm speaking on behalf of parents that are listening to this right now, either current parents or prospective parents, whether they're at, at Snaresbrook Prep or, or any other school, just anybody with children, really, is is you know whether technology is a good thing for education can it enhance our education or the education of children or is there a chance that we could introduce technology which could negatively impact education or negatively impact society for our children oh okay so just some small questions then simon <laughs> <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think we're definitely going beyond my pay grade here. Um, I tell you, one thing that is very, that has been true in terms of technology in schools, um, particularly from mid nineties, there was there was a big educational spend on technology, and mm. there was definitely technology introduced to classrooms that I'm convinced made very little difference. Mm. And I definitely think, you know, part of your question was about technology being introduced to schools. Is it going to benefit children? I think that is a key question from a practical point of view we should always bear in mind because some of it was brilliant, you know, having a projector, being able to access the internet to show children. Um, I, I mean, I remember a particular teaching a lesson about something and i'm sure it was a met it was a metaphor and it was a moth or something mm -hmm. and it was clear that the children i was speaking to had never seen a moth or you know they really weren't clear and i was able to within about 15 seconds pull up the image and that explained the metaphor to them suddenly they could they could get understanding so mm. that's that for me was always a very clear example where technology played a huge part mm -hmm. um, and improved their experience mm. Um, but there are many, 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 many others, um, which I don't think really made a difference. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on which technology 
if you were a parent now, which you'd like to see in school or you would definitely not like to see? I mean, because you're quite pro-technology. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably what you'd call a tech enthusiast. I, I don't really understand how tech tech works. I don't really care about how it works. But I, I, I do get excited about what it can lead to and how it can change our society for the good. And, and I guess if we're looking at children and education, then let's imagine taking children on a field trip somewhere to maybe some ancient Roman ruins. Then if you're a young child looking at some old rocks, which is the way that they might see them, isn't going to look very exciting. There's, there's you know, it's quite hard to imagine what life was like when those ruins were actually a, an impressive building and people were using that building as part of their everyday life, you know, maybe as the, as the, the main city town hall mm. or something like that. But the example that you often see where technology really brings things to life is where children can put on some kind of a headset and then they see those ruins, but they also see the original walls on top of those ruins in kind of like a 3D way. And then they can really start to imagine what it was like and even see people walking around. I mean, you know, that, that would be fantastic if you're a young child to then really understand how those ruins used to be a very impressive building. Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of element of VR, we've been on the cusp of, it feels like we've been on the cusp of that for maybe five years. Where would that take us back to? 2017, 2018? I think the key thing, again, with technology, if you can do it in the real world, and as I say this, I'm just pausing because I'm thinking that that boundary, I think perhaps of what is real world and the online world is actually a lot more blurred for our children and will possibly be even more blurred for our children's children mm -hmm. than it is for us. So, for example, I was going to say, if you can use a pencil and paper to do it, mm -hmm. then you don't need a piece of technology. The pencil and paper is ideal for it. Mm. Um, don't try and replicate an existing system or process with a piece mm. of technology unless mm. it adds something. Now, mm. VR is one of those areas where it might be able, you know you can do things that you couldn't otherwise do so your rowan your roman ruins example mm -hmm. or travel around the the solar system would be another one mm -hmm. or i don't know take the journey of hemoglobin or something or blood you know through the the arteries and veins of the body mm -hmm. that would be another thing you there is no current process that would allow you to do those things mm -hmm. and so a vr headset would be an excellent way to enable that I think the next question in mind when it comes to education is you've got enthusiasm or engagement, which I think definitely the VR headset would add to the engagement. Mm -hmm. The next harder bit is how that translates into understanding or learning. Mm. But clearly, if, if somebody is engaged with something, they're more open and interested and curious to learn. Mm. Mm. Um, and again, it could build schema, I think. So if we take your Roman example mm -hmm. so what you're trying to get across in history in the study of history at that period to children in primary age is you know pre-roman britain everyone's living in roundhouses mm -hmm. you know um with sort of earth roofs or you know thatched mm -hmm. roofs and mm -hmm. earth walls and suddenly the romans turn up and create these you know these magnificent baths these bathing houses with mm. underfloor heating you can understand that logically, but if you could experience it and feel it, I think that would bring a whole nother level of schema mm. to mm. your understanding and help your understanding. So there's always 
opportunities for technology to help. But the the idea of VR, you know, headsets is the bit that I think scares some people when they think about the future. And and I think that's a reasonable thing for them to fear as well, because nobody wants to have a world where all children are just wearing a headset all day, sat in class, because actually the, the next stage on from that is that the children don't need to be sat in class for that. And then their children are sat in their bedrooms with a VR headset on and they might be in some kind of virtual world you know, with, I'm doing like, quote, air quotes around the with, <laughs> with other children, but they're not actually with other children at all. And I, I think that understandably, that scares some adults right now. And, and I think that's the right thing to be fearful of. So maybe there's going to be this world in which, in fact, some people already argue this, that VR headsets isn't the way to go, but some kind of augmented reality, which is where you're looking at real life, but it's being enhanced with additional things that you can see through some kind of not not some kind of big clunky headset but maybe some you know a set of glasses that you can put on and then you can see you know that that, that is the roman wall example where mm. where then it builds around the rest of it or for example if you're looking at the sky in daytime not directly at the sun of course but then maybe if you can put on some some um some glasses some augmented reality glasses where you still see the day and you still see the sky but then you see where the stars are in the sky to get the point across that the stars are there during mm. daytime. It's not like they only come out at nighttime, even though we say that, but they're still very much there during the daytime. It's just that you can't see them. But actually, if you could look up and see the plow, I'm trying to think of constellations now, or or Orion or or Cassiopeia or something like that Ooh, okay. in, in daytime, then you know, then it gets an, it's it's another learning opportunity for children without them being, you know, wearing a clunky headset and being stuck in their bedrooms yeah i mean i guess um i mean there's two parts to that isn't there there's the social i guess i guess it's the social element people fear mm. you know should we be together we, we are a sociable animal and technology is changing the way we socialize mm -hmm. you know children it, it seems like younger people from what i hear are less willing to pick up the phone than they used to be Mm. Um, now I find that hard to believe because I was always very unwilling to pick up the phone and speak to <laughs> anybody, you know, and still am really. Um, mm -hmm. So, and I've I've learned to do it as I've grown up. So there are a lot of people that would quite welcome this insular world, but still being able to socialise what mm. we what we call virtually. But I think this does come back to this point about our children and our children's children don't see that they are socialising virtually; they are just socialising. Mm. Mm. It's like, I don't know, you know, did anybody ever, when the telephone, you know, imagine the, the, the 70s, I don't quite know when telephones hit their heyday, but sometime in the 80s, you know, we'd come home from school and you'd phone your best friend, wouldn't you? And speak for mm. hours mm. on the telephone. Did anybody think, well, they should be in the same room talking? I don't remember that. Mm. I don't remember anybody saying, oh, I'm really worried that they're not socialising, you know, in the real world. You're just talking to your friend on the phone. You're using technology to make that social connection. Mm. Yes, I, I mean, they're, 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 you know, I don't, um, don't know how that's really connected with education, but I guess what it could do, I mean, you know, I guess one of the things that as technology changes how we behave or what we learn at home just through our natural lives, school has to adapt to fill in the missing bit. So we might end up teaching more um, sort of social skills Oh, interesting. As a of that, I yeah. suppose. Because the traditional model of school is that you teach knowledge, isn't it? You know, going back, say, I don't know, 100 years or whatever, 
it was all about teaching knowledge. These days in schools, you have someone who's in charge of the pastoral care of children, which, you know, 100 years ago, you wouldn't have had that. Actually, maybe there is a slow shift from just teaching knowledge to to plugging those gaps in, in other parts that children might be missing out on. Yeah, I think we I think here we are. We are now creating a new model for schooling in the 22nd century. Um, I think Simon because and it's I, all you, starting here on this podcast. It is, you heard it here first. <laughs> How can we monetize this? This is this is the key question. Um, otherwise we're going to be like Tim Berners-Lee, this whole world changed and we didn't yeah. really get a penny of it. Or the person who invented the mouse who apparently made absolutely nothing at all. He he didn't file a, a patent for the creation of the mouse and Steve Jobs and, stole it. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. He did, didn't he? He did. Well, I don't know. If, yes, I don't know. I'm sure there were other people. Uh, was it at 3M? Have I made that up? I'm not sure. I don't know. You may be right. You could just oh. say with, it's 3M with confidence and I wouldn't well, know I, any other I, way. I, no, I, no I'd, rather, I'd rather not. I'd just rather pose it as a question. <laughs> I, I find these things pop into my head and I think I've got no idea where this came from. <laughs> but, um, but that's true. So going back to schools, you know, we, we are, as life has changed... So, for example, you know, children spend less time um, where they are unsupervised playing together. So in my idyllic 70s upbringing, which didn't exist, but, you know, we all pretend that it did. Mm -hmm. um, we were all playing in the street and, you know, um, scrumping for apples and, I don't know, doing, doing whatever. But we had lots of arguments and we sorted them out ourselves and there was no adult to either direct us what to do to remind us what the risks were of climbing that tree or entering that building site or not that I ever did that by the way but it was a big thing in the 70s children mm. entering building sites and there was a whole load of skills that children learnt you know whether it was analyzing risk compromise rebuilding friendships finding games to play all that was was self-directed mm. but now with the increase of most children's time is directed time they don't have that. They don't have the ability to um, self-soothe or sort out friendship issues themselves. Um, mm. And so schools are stepping in um, and teaching those skills. But we often sort of indicate that this is their fault, that we refer to that generation being the snowflake generation. But of course, we're the ones who are directing them and we're the ones who are telling them not to go out and you know play on their own and to yeah. take all of these risks. So, you know, really, surely this snowflake generation, if, if, we're, if we're allowed to call them that, it, it's down to us. It's down to our generation that's created it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't tend to assign blame to any of these. It just, you know, it is just, is just what it is. And some of it is because we're getting, I think, I'd like to think we're getting better at it. We realise it's more important. We realise that we can. We've stopped looking at things like sociability as being an inherent gift or a character trait. It's mm -hmm. a set of skills or a set of process knowledge that anybody can learn and practice and get better at. Mm. And actually why force people to discover it haphazardly when you could teach it. So I think, I think, I think again, part of it is that schools are trying to do things in a much more structured and better way than they have previously. Mm. Mm. But yes, I could certainly see, wouldn't it be interesting if the future school did shift from its focus being teaching knowledge because that would all be sorted out by the computer mm -hmm. and it was them focusing more on the human aspects of life and the human experience mm. 
And to some degree, I think that is, that's definitely where I could see technology going in the short to medium term. Ralph, was it you who told me that you had a friend who was almost encouraging his children not to learn a language? Was that you telling me that? Because technology could plug that gap easily enough. So, yeah, it might, it might have been. So I was talking to somebody who'd existed in, who'd lived, who, I think he said, I've never lived in any one country for longer than two and a half years until my son was born. And they were probably eight or nine at this time. And, you know, they spoke three languages um, fluently. And uh, I was asking them about what their thoughts were in terms of learning a language. And is it better to, for a child to learn one language? And, you know, at this age, at primary age, should they get experience of lots of languages? If, in, in, and if so, should they, should they all have the same base? Should they all be Latinate? You know, for example, should you do French and Spanish? Mm -hmm. Or is it good to do, you know, Mandarin, mm. German and French because they, they have different starting mm -hmm. points and different mm. structures? That's what I was interested in. Mm. And his answer floored me because he said, well, actually, I don't really, I'm not really bothered whether he learns a language or not. He said, because I think... You know, I think that will be plugged by a computer. So you said you can already put Google down on the table between you and it will translate, albeit a bit clunky. It will translate the conversation mm. and you can make that happen. He said for him, the biggest or the most important thing was understanding culture because that was really important. He gave the uh, example of, and I hope I'm going to get this right. I'm sure it was, he said, when you're dealing with the Japanese they like to come to an agreement. But if you're dealing in America, it's very much a negotiation. Now, if you come to Japan, assuming I've got that right, and apologies if I haven't, but if you go to a country where the, the culture is one of compromise and, um, and sort of working together, but you come at it from a process of negotiation and win and lose, then you upset everybody in the room. Hmm. And therefore, you'll never be able to do business. Hmm. But likewise, if you turn up to an environment that's all about negotiation and win and lose, actually they won't respect you and they'll walk all over you mm. and you'll get a very bad deal and that won't work for anybody either. So again, it, he's, and interestingly, I guess now I say this in terms of the conversation we're having now, to some degree, that is that difference between technical knowledge. So the knowledge mm -hmm. is the language and the yeah. words. Mm -hmm. The other side is the social element, how we interact and culture. So, yeah, so that, that I think, that, I don't know if that's, that was to what you were alluding, but... It, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's largely a case of what we do with the available opportunity if technology takes away something that we no longer need to do. So your mm. language example there, if language is, is able to be taken care of by technology, then does that mean that we don't need, a, need to learn a language, therefore we can just sit and watch Netflix all day? Well, you could do that, but actually if you replace that with you know, you plug that gap with learning the culture instead of learning the language, then actually you've got the benefit of the language provided by the tech and the culture provided by the education that you've received. Put the two things together and that's a that's a great little cocktail there. Well, you made me think about, I was watching uh, the first episode of Drive to Survive, the new series is out. And now you've got a lot of closed, the closed captions are done automatically, aren't they? Mm. And so you... What I noticed on this particular episode was how they weren't normally in a documentary. All the language spoken is English, mm. but actually they were including all the bits that weren't in English, but they were subtitled. 
Hmm. And actually, we're very used now to reading subtitles. Um, and I guess it's a lot cheaper to do uh, and can be done instantaneously by a computer, which then actually means that you're engaging with content that you wouldn't ordinarily have got. So you're opening yourselves up to a whole experience that you wouldn't mm. ordinarily have. So mm. I can imagine, you know, our children watching more, you know, films from around the world mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have had access to because they wouldn't have been formally translated and had the captioning done. Whereas now the captioning gets done, you know. Mm. Mm. So again, it's that it's technology has freed us up from some of the process and has allowed us to gain something else. Mm. I think, and I think that's if you're going to use technology in education, that's the question you've got to look at. What are the processes it can free us from mm -hmm. that aren't important, and where can we gain the advantages that are important? Mm. Okay, so let's talk about AI for a second, because I'm dying to get your your views on this. The whole world seems to be talking about Chat GPT right now, and I'm not suggesting that we should talk about that. But we do know that with things like AI and you know, applying it to things that people do, you know, in the workplace, for example, if somebody wanted to write a blog article on XYZ, you can punch that into an AI machine now, and it comes up with a pretty good blog article that you can at least tweak and then claim as your own. Clearly, there are implications for, you know, children in school that are learning and needing to write an essay on, you know, the impact of Henry VIII on the Catholic Church in the UK, for example, you know, somebody could produce a, a, an essay very easily. Uh, using AI. How do we see the future of AI in schools? And instead of schools trying to push it away, is there an opportunity for schools to include in the education of children how we can use AI to our advantage? There's so many threads there that I want to pull at, Simon. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm just aware that this could be another 15 minutes of me talking without taking breath in no particular order. I mean, I do think I'm going to preface everything I say. So I am, I am quite, um, you know, I like technology. I'm very enthusiastic about it. So I like to look for the positives in it. I do think there is a lot in education and it's probably true in any industry. I think there's a certain fear about people losing their jobs, you know, so you hear things like AI can't replace teachers. And I think, again, that comes back to our question about, we want to lose the things that aren't particularly useful and keep the things that are, you know, mm. let, let mm. machines do what they're really good at and let humans do what they're really good at. I guess, actually, I was just thinking about email. Wasn't email meant to free us up from, you know, we'd be all be working three-day weeks and, <laughs> you know, enjoying stuff and instead we're all working 23-hour days. And <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I guess, I guess you know, there, there's reason to be um, cautious. And I do think a lot of the conversation around things like chat GPT is also around how are we going to mark essays, mm. which is obviously a, a question for now because it's a very practical question in terms of that's how we judge children in terms of their future usefulness. Um, I wonder whether there's a question to be looked at about that. Mm. So I wonder whether we're, we're trying to prevent a development in an area because we're trying to stop something that actually is, is actually from a bygone age. Mm. Mm. So I guess the question is, where is, where is AI really, really useful? That's sort of the question, I guess. If we can identify that, mm -hmm. mm. then we'd be, we'd be better off in terms of coming to an answer. The way I can imagine AI being used, so we, there's already AI starting to filter into education. So we see it in, there are products like Century, Atom, 
learning. They're two products that use AI. What is Century Atom Learning? Oh, so they're online platforms that provide content um, around maths, English, maths and English and other subjects um, broadly. Um, I don't want to turn it into an advert for those products. I'm sure there are other products available, but the way they are, uh, they are trying to set them up is that you as the student um, undertake some tests, it assesses your knowledge, and then based on your success, it provides you the next piece of content in the learning sequence. Mm -hmm. And I guess Duolingo, and um, trying to think, oh, I forget the other one that's quite popular, you know, but I, they do similar things. Now, actually, where computers are really good are at recording data, uh, you know, and getting data. So that's the amount of time you spent on something, the number mm -hmm. of questions you've answered, the length of time you took to answer the question, you know, how accurate the question was. Now, when you get to that, how accurate the question was, that works. Re that's really easy for something that's binary like maths, mm -hmm. less easy for something like a written piece, um, mm. sort of the discussion, uh, the essay question you said about Henry VIII. Um, and that is where there are companies looking at can things like ChatGPT actually mark essay questions. So one company is um, No More Marking. We use them for assessing primary writing, mm -hmm. which is currently all done by human beings. All the moderation and all the marking is done by humans. Mm -hmm. um, but they are experimenting with how a computer marking the scripts compares mm. to humans marking the script mm. and currently it's at a at a a fairly decent set of reliability when you compare the computer marking to the human marking um, it's not as good as human marking but it's not far off but i guess it's taking out any bias that a teacher might have when they're marking Yes, I mean, you know, I think there's, there's, um, so they, 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 they measure it in terms of reliability. So what they can do is they can, they can get the humans to mark all the scripts, and then they get the computer to mark the scripts, mm -hmm. and then they see how closely the two match, hmm. and that's what they call a reliability. And they do it with humans, uh, you know. So all the humans mark the scripts, and then you can see the reliability of a particular individual in their mm -hmm. marking against. You know that you know all the other humans that have marked mm. it, mm. and you know certainly the computer. So it has a, a zero point seven, I think it was. Is, is mm. so zero point anything above, is it seven point five or zero point eight is considered reliable. So cl the closer to one you are, the more reliable you are. Okay. And actually, so at zero point seven, that's that's fairly reliable and more reliable than a number of humans mm. who would who would come in less than that or would have greater variability. So mm. see, the way I can see it, if AI can take that data, it can then work out probably more accurately and more quickly what you as the learner need. Also, it means that you can do it on a more one-to-one -one basis. So at the moment, you know, the model of school is, you know, one adult imparting information that, you know, essentially meets the middle of the group. Yeah. Mm. And then... They sort of differentiate it either side, but a computer and a device can deliver that to you for you specifically as an individual. So if one person learns more visually and another person learns more through written text, then, you know, different ways of learning for different children. Essentially, yes. But um, the caveat I would say is the idea of visual auditory and kinesthetic learning has been 
um, slightly questioned. It's not, it's not, you know, everybody learns visually and everybody learns through listening. Oh, there, is, there isn't a specific style. But that's mm. an interesting point that I think technology allows us to tailor the content in any number of ways mm -hmm. more easily than a traditional schooling method. Mm. Now, I think the next step on from this, and you, and you can very much see this in, you know, sort of, sort of atom and century, particularly in maths. Mm -hmm. And you can do, I mean, grammar would work quite well because that's, a, you know, that's a yes or a no, you got that right. Comprehension, mm -hmm. certainly recall comprehension answers would be easier. You know, um, they're, they're more binary. Some of the more, the questions around effect would be harder to do, I, I would suspect. But the next interesting thing, I think, so then something like Sentry at the moment will give you as the learner some learning input. So it shows you some slides. And I think you can choose slides or video. So you mm -hmm. can have some slides with a, a sort of narration or you can watch a video. Then you do a test mm -hmm. uh, and then it, it works out how much you've learned and it says, oh, well, you need to do that again or you can move on to the next, the next part. Mm -hmm. Now, the next step for me would be working out, okay, so you've got these questions wrong. So you can program, well, I, I mean, you don't even have to program the AI anymore. It would learn, wouldn't it? So this is mm. the thing, machine learning, it would learn. So it'd say, okay, You've not done very well in these questions. I'm going to give you this next bit of content because mm -hmm. I think because that's the bit of content that has the the knowledge you need. Mm. Now it could start if it's doing that on a massive scale. Say it was doing it sort of nationally or globally, it could give slightly different content in that situation to different people, mm -hmm. and then it could start seeing which content had the biggest effect. So it'd be like constantly doing a random trial as to the next best intervention in any given situation. Mm. And then over time would learn that actually the best intervention for that type of problem was this bit of content. So it would give you another video or it would give you another set of slides. Mm. And then mm. it would give you another set of questions. And again, it could learn the sets of questions that learn to better progress. So if I give you question A, then question B, then question B1, mm -hmm. that leads to a better outcome than if I do question A, question B, and question B3. Mm. And it can do that because it's it's doing that with, like I say, it would just be a, a random trial going on all the time mm. and learning from that. And I think that could be hugely exciting. Mm. And what it would allow the human to do, because I don't think you'd replace the teacher, the human would work on things like motivation, all those soft skills that, you know, at the moment AI is not so clear on. Mm. So there, there's a film... Um, it's been, I think it's a comedy where the, the premise is in this point in the future, you can buy your child the perfect friend. So it's a robot mm -hmm. and it acts as a friend. And the protagonist in this film can't afford this robot for their child. And every child, like all the children have one, you know, it's, and so they're feeling quite bad. Their child doesn't have this access to one of these robots, but they get the opportunity to buy a reconditioned one, mm -hmm. but it's got a slight flaw in it. Mm. Um, and hilarity ensues as you know <laughs> this robot doesn't quite perform in in the perfect robotic way it ought to mm. and and it's really a discussion on how we learn and you know mm. but mm. we as humans do make bonds with animals don't we so i don't we see do. why we mm. wouldn't bond with our our robots you know we've even imagined this in a, in you know in star wars you know we we all bond as an audience with r2d2 or you know the characters mm. bond with their droids. Um, mm. I mean, I've got a robotic vacuum cleaner. 
uh-huh. which I heartily recommend to everyone. Everyone should have a robotic uh, vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, we've given it a name. You mm-hmm. know, we talk about it if it's another member of the family. Um, <laughs> and so actually, you know, I know we think, oh, it'd be crazy, you know, our children being brought up by robots. I don't know, you know. Mm. And I think this is, you know, they're looking at it for care of the elderly, aren't they, in Japan? Yeah, they are. They are. And, you know, if you, if you look at some of these, I'm going to say Amazon-enabled devices, otherwise, otherwise I'll, I'll trigger mine and I'll trigger them for anyone who's listening to this on speaker as well. But if you combine an Amazon-enabled device with a movable robot-style body, which looks and sounds like a real human being, then a companion for the elderly, someone living on their own. Actually, my grandfather's still alive. He's 101 years old. If he had a an Amazon-powered device that's walking around that he's able to talk to about you know, his time during the war and stuff like that, then he's got a real companion there. And that starts to get really quite exciting. It does also come with a whole load of concerns about how it could be misused, of course, that kind of technology. But you know, certainly there's a good opportunity there where it can be used to to really help people that are, you know, of a certain age. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that with with the age. I'm just thinking any age. I mean, let's face it, there are two types of people in the world, the people that like to listen and learn things and people that like to talk. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure when, I was going to say my wife, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did she I'm listen to fairly, this podcast fairly, series? No, she doesn't. I'm fairly <laughs> certain there are times when she's telling me things that really, she's not really interested in, in my thoughts on how to, in fact, I even say to her, I said, do you just want me to listen to this? Because I've got some thoughts if you're interested in, in mm. some ideas. Mm. <laughs> mm. Because I've learned that actually, no, it's just a cathartic process of talking about it. Mm. Whereas, you know, I'm equally happy to listen to people to to learn things that I don't know. So mm. actually mm. it could work either way, couldn't it? You know, it you could, could ask your yeah. device to tell you about something that you don't know. Um, in fact, I mean, chat G- GPT, going back to that, there was a, my daughter had an essay question and I thought, I don't know anything about this. So I asked ChatGPT and it gave me, you know, gave me a three paragraph answer because I think it was like, oh, name, you know, what were the three things? Oh, I think, what were the three things that enabled William the Conqueror to be successful? Oh. Something like that. And I thought, well, this mm-hmm. is nothing I've ever studied. So I asked mm. um, and it told me the feudal system, access to money and something else which I've forgotten. Suddenly you look like a very knowledgeable dad. Well, suddenly it gave me somewhere to go. Mm. And then I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then it led to my next question. I was, you know, so how did the, you know, so then I asked it, how did the feudal system help William the Conqueror mm. in the invasion after 1066 or something? And it came back with some more stuff. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, how did that happen? And I just kept asking it questions. This is almost like when, when we first discovered Wikipedia. You read an entry on Wikipedia and you click a hyperlink in there and you go somewhere else and you go somewhere else. But, but this, is, this is like next level, isn't it? Well, it's very chat-based. It feels um, like you are having a conversation. And if it was, you know, if it was done vocally, like you say, mm. through a device, you would start to get drawn in. Mm. Mm. And you're right. But I guess, you know, you asked, I think one of the questions you asked earlier is what should we be teaching our children about technology? Mm-hmm. in this this future world so i think there are two thoughts i have in relation to that one is how you would use chat gpt or something similar mm-hmm. to get the best answer so now what does it mean to write an essay because i was saying you know if so 20 years ago my daughter comes home same question mm-hmm. now if i'm a parent that knows the answer to that because I, I don't know that's 
parts of the history I studied, I say, oh, well, it was, you know, down to three things. You had the feudal system, you had, you know, they had huge mm -hmm. wealth and access to money, which meant, you know, their army was superior. I tell that to my child. My child writes it down. The child hands in the essay. The essay gets marked and it's well done. That's a brilliant essay. You got everything right there. No mm. question about any kind of plagiarism or any mm -hmm. of those issues. Mm. So where's the difference? The only difference was who told who told the yeah, child and the effort the child mm. put in. So mm. because the child had to listen and write it down, that's given more credence. Now, I again would assume that's because we think, oh, well, in the process of writing it down, some of it has lodged in their longer term memory. So they have done some learning. And actually, the process is about them learning mm -hmm. the facts. But if there's a way of enhancing the AI or the chat GPT so that the learning can still happen through your daughter in this example, then it's surely it's irrespective where that source of information came from. Yeah, so I think that's right. I, well, that's what I'm wondering. What I am wondering is, does it matter the source of information? I think it matters what you do with it. So I think one of the concerns with chat uh, GPT, I keep, I really struggle over getting those letters in the right order, is that you can just copy and paste your answer and submit it. And therefore, there's, you haven't actually had to process the information in any way yourself. And I think that is an issue. But what really interested me was how I was interacting with it to find out about a subject I didn't know. Okay. So it was like, you know, I'd ask, I think, well, what questions do I have about this? And then I'd ask it another question. So it was, it was all driven through my curiosity. Mm. And then this led me onto a thought about, and maybe coming back to the question you asked at the beginning, like what should we teach our children in relation to technology? Mm -hmm. So it struck me that the question I had in my head was, okay, how can I best use this to get the best answer? And how would I use this to write an essay in the most effective way? The, the, the only place I got to in this internal conversation was, it's about asking the questions. Mm. And if we can stimulate or teach children how to be curious, and again, there might be a question there, can you teach curiosity? Is curiosity something you nurture or is it a set of skill or a set of process? Is it a process? Is it knowledge about a process? And can you practice that and rehearse it? But for me, it was about thinking, okay, in the answer the AI had given me, what was the key concept or what was the key idea or the key piece of knowledge? And then I'd ask it about that. Mm. And then I thought if I was, I would do that often enough and then maybe I would reorganize those ideas to reflect what I thought about it. Mm. You know, I think, I think that's, that's what's in my head about how do we, how do we teach children to interact with AI effectively. Again, coming back to our conversation about being able to use it effectively for what it can do very well mm -hmm. and, and free us up to do what we can do very well. And I think the other element that we should probably teach children or we need to teach children is how it works because that will change how we interpret the information it gives us. So chat... GPT, for example, only has information up to 2021. It doesn't go beyond that. So you need to know that any information you get back is only valid up to that date. So if there was a change in the topic, 
there was a big discovery or if it's a personality that didn't exist before 2021. Or something to do with Russia and Ukraine or something like that, for example. Exactly. Yeah, it's not going to be able to take that into account. So you need to know that. But with any kind of AI, I think if we can teach children how, I think it starts with sort of coding and programming. And I think at some point we might need to look into sort of neural, teaching them about neural networks, because whatever data set AI is accessing and however it's sort of learning and going about it, that will affect what it tells us. And therefore, we need to know how to interpret the information we get back. I sometimes think it's a bit like your sat-nav. You know, you might look at your sat-nav, you put in the route and it suggests the best route. But you think, yeah, but actually it's Boxing Day. I don't know Mm. if you've taken account of the fact that it's Boxing Day. Mm. Or did you know, or even more rare, it's the King's coronation, which is a once in a lifetime event. Mm. So that's not going to be in its data set. So actually today, the route might be completely different or... Mm. But actually, and then interestingly, I thought those skill sets of interpreting what people say, looking for bias, um, albeit not it's, you know, it's not out of a moral bias, but it's out of a bias of its data set, knowing how to ask the right question. Actually, these are all very traditional skills. Well, there are so many ways it could go. It's going to be exciting to see the direction it does take and, and how it's going to truly and genuinely benefit our lives as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ralph, I guess we should probably bring this to a close. Anything else to add on the subject of AI without adding too much oxygen back into that fire again? No, uh, no, not at all. I think, um, like you say, it's going to be a very interesting, we live in interesting times. And I think we just have to keep considering as best we can what our children will need and sort of sort of reverse engineer or think back to what we can teach them to help them best utilise it good place to bring it to a close thank you for your time ralph it's been good talking to you no thank you simon it's been very very interesting so that was ralph dalton head teacher at the school and me i'm simon jones talking about tech ai education and a few other things in between thank you for joining us and if you made it this far to the end of this episode then we'd love to know what you think should there be more episodes like this or do you prefer it when guests come onto the show and we talk about things more closely related to life at snaresbrook your opinions matter because without you there is no show so do please get in touch just email office at snaresbrookprep.org Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.